So, Biblical Soul Care Sunday School, we're talking about technology for the glory of God. Um, how do we use it for uh, our growth and holiness and Christ-likeness, and how, do, how can it actually distract us from that? Um, we've had two lessons so far. The first one, um, we just talked about w- what is kind of the biblical assessment of technology. And that is, is technology a bad thing or is it a good thing? And, and in general, we came to the conclusion that God sovereignly um, dictates what technologies advance and what are designed, and, and he is sovereign over all of that process. From the, from he creates and sustains the people that build it, and he uh, ordains that those technologies should be invented. Um, and then last week, we, or last time, in lesson two, we were talking about theme is, what are you beholding? Um, to behold something is to kind of focus your attention on something for an extended uh, length of time. And, and we talked about that there are spectacles all around us trying to get us to pay attention to it. Uh, and so the, the main point that I want to communicate with through this lesson is, is you, you worship what you behold. Okay, so what we choose to pay attention to says a lot about our hearts. So if I'm going to say yes and look at and study and focus on this thing here, this spectacle, I'm saying no to a bunch of other things. And that says something about what I think is important, what I think is worthwhile. And so we, we worship what we behold. And, and stated another way, you cannot worship what you do not behold. So if we say that we worship God, that we love the Lord, that we're living for God, and we never take time to shut out distractions and behold our God, how is that possible? And it is not. It's not possible to worship what we do not behold. So there are, there's a lot of um, close thinking, careful thinking, and evaluation that we need to do when we're talking about our habits with technology because I mean these things are like spectacle machines they just they buzz they they ding they shine the bright and colorful and we can be fixated on it beholding all manner of things good or bad so are we being careful with the technologies that we have to make sure we are beholding our God. Okay, We talked about the psalmist in Psalm 73, how he was looking and watching the wicked. And he was seeing they seemed to be doing well. They were prospering. They were healthy. They were rich. Nothing was going wrong. And he, he was looking at them, and he was getting frustrated. Uh, we saw on page 2 of that handout, we have the psalm, part of the psalm there, verse 16. But when I thought... How to understand this. It seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. And so he he goes to the sanctuary of God and he starts to behold God. And he realizes that their end is not going to be good. Okay? 25. And this is where he's beholding God. And he says, Who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So beholding God, he got his eyes off of the spectacle of the wicked, and he was beholding God, and it caused him to worship. 
Okay, then we went to um, John 17, and it was Jesus, his high priestly prayer. He was, uh, he says, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. A lot of our, our growth in Christ-likeness and holiness comes by beholding the Lord through his word. So, we're going to skip ahead, and we started to look at um, point number three, which is what you behold, you worship. And we're looking at the example of the, of the Israelites in Exodus. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. God telling them what they should behold and remember. And remembering, we talked about remembering. When you remember something, you are calling something back that you saw or experienced before, and you are beholding it again. Right? And we, we do that every week when we come and do communion and church on Sundays. And we, we are to behold Christ again. What he has done in his death and his resurrection. We're beholding that. We are remembering so, in verse 4, Exodus 19, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So here's God talking to Moses. Tell them this. Remember what I, what you just saw me do. The ten mighty works that he did to exercise and show how he is over the gods of the Egyptians. And he is over Pharaoh himself. And he controls all of nature. And then, not only that, I then split the Red Sea so you can walk across it. And when your enemies try to follow and pursue you, I've made it close. I'm going to kill them. Remember that. <laughs> Now, it's supposed to, to help them to be his special people, to be holy like he is holy. Then we go to verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people on the, the, in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And so we see this spectacle of God's manifested presence on the mountain, and they were seeing this, and their response was terror. They were terrified. We see God answering Moses from the mountain, answered him in thunder and then look at verse 18 oh, I already did that on 18 look the next one is um, we have the, that great spectacle but then we see what Israel chooses to behold they turn their attention away so we'll go to chapter 32 
verses 1 through 6. After all of those things that they saw God do, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Okay, a couple of problems. What were they looking at so far here? Moses. Moses. They're looking for Moses. He's been gone for 40 days, a long time. He's been gone up on the mountain. They haven't seen him. And they are thinking about Moses. Not good. Okay. So because their eyes are on Moses, they're starting to. What do you think they're feeling as they're waiting for Moses and they're not seeing him? What are they? What do they? What's going through their minds? Yes. Moses is the one that saved us. That got us out of Egypt, right? What if he doesn't come back? Yeah. It's interesting how in the moment when God is parting the Red Sea, I, I find it hard to believe that they're thinking, wow, this Moses, he's amazing. Look at how he's making the water do that. Maybe they were. Maybe, maybe some were just like thinking he's just some kind of miracle magic man and he's, he has control of that. But I think it's more likely that they, they knew that that was God, that was Yahweh that was doing that. But here, they're noticing that Moses is gone and then they attribute what God has done to Moses. Moses, the one who brought us out of here, he's, we don't know what happened to him. So make us gods. Might have been fearful. Is there visible person that they've been following is missing? Let's continue. Verse 2. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So what do they do? Aaron makes the calf. Interesting, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. It's kind of interesting to me. Why, why does he... He made it. <laughs> so then he saw it and he built an altar. You worship what you behold. Beholding God, the summary says, is a primary condition of holy living. Israel in the Old Testament had feasts, celebrations, sacrifices, laws, ceremonies, and routines that were all designed to set the minds and hearts on God and on His Word. When they beheld other things, other nations, they were on the fast track to apostasy. It's the same for us. 
what are you beholding? Look at the last page. We're going to move kind of quickly through here. There's some really important things. What are we to behold today? That was Israel. That was them. What about us now, you might say? Let's look at these following texts. Look at John chapter 1. Verse 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God. I'm sorry, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. What are we to behold in verses 14 through 18? Sunday school answer. Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, we behold Jesus and we think about the wonder, especially in the Christmas season, right? The Word became flesh. The Word is Jesus. He is eternal. He has always been. He was with God. He was God. All things were made through Him. The first few verses, we know that Jesus is God. We're to behold Jesus. Verse 29, the same chapter. The next day, uh, this is John. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, look, pay attention, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Again, we're we're to behold Jesus. (coughs) Look at John chapter 3. Turn a page or two. I don't know if anybody anybody who's read this passage before. It's kind of obscure. Just kidding. All right, 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What are we we beholding here? It starts with the the Sunday school answer. So we're, we're beholding Jesus again, but what specifically? We're looking at Jesus on the cross, lifted up for us to look at. Okay, so, so we don't just behold Jesus and, and the incarnation and, and get the nativity set. We just do that and that's it. 
No, we, we behold Jesus as he, as he lived, and then ultimately as he went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, we behold him on the cross. Just like in uh, the people of Israel had to look up at the snake on, on the post. They had to look up at the snake if they got bit. Why? Because if they didn't, they were going to die. Right? So that was their only way to be healed. The only way that we have to be healed, to be forgiven, to save from the curse and the, the disease of sin, is to behold Christ on the cross. Believe in him. 1 Corinthians 11. That's what we do at communion. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink, this, drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're beholding, we're remembering Christ, the sacrifice for us. And finally, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do, not, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So we are all, we behold Christ primarily. We also need to keep an eye on, on our own hearts, our own lives. We need to examine, pay attention to the fruit that we're producing. How am I living? How am I speaking? How am I acting? What are the desires of my heart? We, we examine ourselves and test ourselves. That requires some focus and some attention. So, the application questions for this, we're, we're going to go ahead and skip because we'll come back to them um, later. So, particularly after we talk about social media, which is an, a, another lesson coming soon. But these, these technologies we ask, do, these, do our technologies that we're using, do they help us behold God? Do they help us behold Christ, um, Christ crucified and risen? Do they help us examine ourselves or do they distract us? So that completes, oh, half time, there we go, perfect. So we get halfway through. Now I want to turn your attention to the next handout we've got, which is part three, truth in a digital world. Look at the introduction. It says, a few weeks ago we discussed the need to evaluate our, our use of technology for several reasons. One important reason is that the technologies we use always change us. Many times these technologies foster good changes. They might connect 
us to more people, provide access to digital resources. Uh, how many, I mean, you can pull up lots of sermons and, and great songs and things, and you can have access to it like that, a couple of clicks or taps. They can help you be more productive. They can help you be safer. More safe? Is safer a word? I don't know. So they can help us in all of those ways. Technology is supposed to assist us in fulfilling our chief end, which we talked about, and that's to, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But there are also ways in which technology will distract us from our chief end or uh, even promote self-glorifying idolatry. So one of the ways that technology is affecting us is in our understanding of truth. Christianity is a religion built on truth. Christians claim to know the truth about God, sin, human nature, <coughs> eternal life, salvation, good and evil, wisdom and foolishness, justice, mercy, righteousness, heaven, hell, we can go on. We, we, our faith is built on truth claims about all of those things. So in this room, there's probably a lot of, of agreement on those topics. But outside the walls of this church, this is not the case. In fact, our culture is going through a crisis of truth right now. It has been for some, for some time. Uh, in, in some ways, our digital technology is creating an environment where truth is being redefined. What are a few ways that you see this crisis playing out? Truth is my experience. Truth is my experience. Who says that? Lots of people. <laughs> I mean, you'll hear it in terminology like, I feel like this, and you'll say yeah. whatever it is. Or if somebody is making a comment that they disagree with, they'll be disagree with it because their experience mm -hmm. is different. So therefore, yeah. the other one is... Right. So if I haven't lived through what you're saying and it doesn't feel right to my experience, then it must not be true. And also, I mean, you touched on that one, Emily, too, is, is it's what feels true to you. It kind of goes, what, what feels right? That must be true. Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. You can do anything. You can do anything you want. I think to a certain extent, too, we have postmodernism on one side, and then we have um, some postmodernism of um, my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth. How are we to judge each other? You have that on one side of the spectrum, but then on the other side, you have this um, this ontology or this uh, this nature of reality that people have that uh, the belief about reality that people have that's based in strictly the scientific method or strictly empiricism. Um, basically, you, have, you need to prove it to me in order. To in order for me to believe it. And I think that both both sides of the spectrum are, are false, and so I think we'll probably get to that, but mm -hmm. um, you can fall off the course one way or the other, mm -hmm. where it's strict empiricism or strict relativism. Yeah, and that there's a, closely connected to truth is the issue of authority. And if, if you, I mean, you need to show me that that's true or, and let me decide. I will be the judge of what is true and what is not true. That's a, that's a big thing right now as well. Everybody is their own little authority on what is true and what is not true. 
So we have yeah, we have relativism, which is your, you can have your truth and I'll have my truth and we'll just get along and just don't don't let your truth bother my truth. Okay. It's funny how quickly it switched during the COVID crisis from my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth to we need to follow the quote unquote <laughs> science. You know what I'm saying? It's mm -hmm. just interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that just they can't coexist. That they can't practically work if everybody has their own little truth. Then what? Are, how are we going to live together? This is not not gonna not gonna work. So your truth, you live your truth as long as it doesn't bother me in any way that I perceive it to maybe bother me somehow. But we're also in a time where that's not true either. I mean. They don't like our truth. So it's no longer, you don't bother me with your truth if you don't bother with my truth. It's your truth is bad. We need to stop that truth. Yeah. Don't legislate your truth. Don't legislate your morality on me. Right? Yeah, Legislating like creating laws to create mm -hmm. immoral, <coughs> not true, but by making it law. Anything steps up against that is you know, you're not true because law says it is. It's true. It can't be. No, it's a sin against God. They don't even know what kind of. They don't even know if they're male or female. So how? I mean, they're messed up. <laughs> yeah. No, your true self. Yeah. Like maybe maybe your physical body is one thing, but that's not truth. Truth is who you are on the inside and who you really believe you are. How I feel today. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is why language is so important because we're constantly redefining the terms. Mm -hmm. We redefine the terms so we have different, you know, a person isn't a human being, a person is a sentient being capable of making moral choice, you know, which takes out so many people, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. So it's like, it's yeah. the whole post. Yeah, how we define language and very important. Does technology make truth claims? I was gonna say, does a CB radio make truth claims, or does it just uh, reiterate the truth claims that are spoken to it? Or broadcast? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. So our our technology in itself is not like making truth claims. But the design behind the technology, the, the use of that technology by people that are using it, kind of talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago, it's like you've got the same technology that can make an atomic bomb, can also make energy in a fairly clean and efficient way. It's the same technology, same scientific principles used to very different ends. So the technology itself doesn't really make truth claims. So people, people do, because people are the active agents behind it. Now, later in, the, in this lesson, if we get there, I'm going to be using like, technologies as if they, are, that they do, because it's, it's interesting to think about. Specifically, Google. We're going to talk about Google, and we're going to talk about Wikipedia, and how everything that we've said so far about truth and how people say truth, what, what, what is truth, and how they are redefining it, these, these two are just two big examples of how our technology can create an environment 
in which it is really easy and convenient to, to redefine what, what is truth. Okay, but first, we want to look at, let's look at our objectives today, or for this part. We want to define truth biblically and remember why we can confidently say we know the truth as Christians. And secondly, we want to consider the effect that digital media has on the meaning of truth and in our culture and in our own lives. All right, so what is truth? Do you remember Pilate when he was examining Jesus? He asked that question, what is truth? And from the context, it doesn't seem like he really wants Jesus to, to answer him, but what, how would your friends kind of make it, think of people in your life, friends and coworkers, family members, uh, how would they answer the question if you ask them, what is truth? <laughs> well, for some, we test out a little bit of whatever I feel, what makes me feel right. Mm -hmm. At peace, that's got to be truth. Truth is what makes me feel good. Okay. <clears throat> what else might people say? And scientifically, scientifically proven. There you go. Mm -hmm. So what the science says. What does the science say to us? What does the science currently say? <laughs> <laughs> what does the science now say? I mean, that's ever evolving. That's what science should be. If you think about, oh, I hate that argument. If you think about any information that we get, though, from historical back. However far back, everything is jaded by someone's perspective or how they how they look at it. And so, if you're a person who actually wants to seek truth, <coughs> where do you look for that? It's it's like it's the only way to to know what it is to see it yourself. Because it's so hard to trust any source. I, maybe we've been taught that because it's so hard to find reality. And that's a, that's another concern. Part of the crisis of truth that, that we were talking about earlier, I think that's a major one, is we feel like we don't, we don't know who we can trust. When I see something on TV, it used to be, all these people probably know what they're talking about. They probably did the, the, the work to investigate what they're saying to me on the news. They probably have some kind of expertise in this thing. Now it just doesn't seem that we can trust anyone that we we see on TV or on the internet. There, we, it's a, a, an environment where anybody can say anything, and if they say it with enough confidence and they, with enough you know smoothness in their speech, and they they kind of know what what actions how how to look, you can get somebody to believe you. And that's, that's the crux. That's the crux of the issue, though, is being a critical a critical like analyzer of what you're hearing because what you're saying there is. Whenever you have a smooth talker, right, delineating back what what they're saying um, that incorporates back from from their perspective or their opinion is something that I feel like is gone by the wayside. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the crux of the issue. Is when I read when I read an article on online, I do understand that everyone has differing perspectives, but also I need to be able to analyze it with uh, with uh, objective, a relatively objective uh, mm -hmm. lens. You know, looking for what is factual and what is an interpretation of facts. Yeah, I think it's getting harder to do that. I think in the past, Christians could kind of skate by with minimal knowledge, you know, because we didn't, we should have been more discerning, but we didn't have to. 
be quite as discerning. We should have been. I think you know what I'm saying. But now, like, when I think about teaching my kids to discern truth and to learn deeply, and, like, it seems, like, so, like, so vital because there's so much information out there that sounds almost right. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that sounds way wrong. But there's some that sounds almost right. And so we have to be deep in the word. It's not okay just to do like the fun youth group things. Or, I mean, every once in a while. But you know what I'm saying? Like, our kids have to be taught deeply. We have to be taught deeply. Or we're going to go after things that aren't true. And you mentioned like inside these walls versus outside. But it's so pervasive that you see it coming into the church mm -hmm. and how it causes even discord and mistrust among believers. Mm -hmm. Like, can I really trust what they're saying? Or we're immediately thinking the worst of each other instead of the best of each other. Mm -hmm. And so it, and then it, like what you said, it makes this question like, okay, what, <clears throat> what does scripture say? Is it reliable? Can I lose my salvation? Is God, like, all of a sudden it trickles down and it, it affects all those solid foundations that we thought were solid, but then it starts getting shaky mm -hmm. because we started out in God and his word. Yeah. My daughter has a, a daughter in grade school, and there's a, some little counselor person that does the whole, takes the kids and talks about feelings, and your feelings are valid, and she'll come home and say to her mom, I just hate that. I just hate that. Well, why? Because my feelings are not true. That is not true. And my daughter's taught and taught and taught that. So now she recognizes it, even at the fourth grade level. Mm -hmm. Feelings are not true. I love that. Does anybody else love that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that leads to an opportunity, though. Mm -hmm. Because how many people actually sit down and say, what is true? Mm -hmm. So if you pose that question, to somebody, to an unbeliever, that could lead to a fruitful conversation. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the necessity of the conversation, especially as, as parents, you, you, you know, we have kids or grandchildren or nieces and nephews that we, we need to start having the conversations with them. I think one of the, one of the, the um, impulse that I feel as a parent is just like, just shelter them, don't let them just block it out, don't let it happen and then they'll be fine. Whereas the, the answer needs to be, I need to, like, they, they're gonna see it. They're gonna ex be exposed to these ideas and things, and if I don't tell them and have these conversations about them, what is true? What can you trust? Who, who do you look to? I don't have any of that. No wonder so many people are leaving the church as, as they go to college. If, if we're just sheltering and just excluding all possible icky things, and they go out into their college classrooms and their professors talking to them about, uh, you know what, you know, homosexuality is just, you know, just a different way to live. And those bigots who are in the church and who are, and, and they don't have any arguments. They don't know why homosexuality might be a sin. Why? Why is it wrong to live a homosexual lifestyle or to sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend of the opposite sex? They don't, if we don't talk to them about this, what is true? And all they're hearing from these, these other sources are, they're just hateful. There's no reason. There's no reason why that should be wrong. They just don't like it. Yeah, if we can't defend it, we 
defend our reasoning, then they think we're just throwing something out there. Mm-hmm. And I was very sheltered, and so I struggle with being able to recall those reasons why. Mm-hmm. I, I know it here, mm-hmm. but to be able to speak that is such a big thing. Mm-hmm. So do our kids know, do we know? Do we know the truth? Do our kids know the truth? At age-appropriate times, you know, we, we do shelter. We, we are careful and we consider when to talk and when to, um, when to have some of these conversations. But they, we need to have them. And I think the other, the other thing, the interesting part of our cultural moment, there's a lot of conspiracy theories. Everybody see it? Anybody heard any conspiracy theories lately? I mean, about everything. Everything. The, the one example, one of the examples that in his in Charlie's book is he talks about the the document. Remember when 9/11 happened, and then there was the the little documentary that came out that said it was actually planned by the government, and and the twin towers they meant for it to happen because they wanted X, Y, and Z, and that sounded crazy at the time. And it still is crazy. It's not true, just in case you're wondering. Um, and it's been disproven and uh, time and again, very thoroughly. But that is just the rejection of an authority has led people. To, well, this, that's the government. Of course, the government's going to say it didn't happen. Of course, I mean they did the investigation of the government, the man, or whatever. You know, there's all these things. We don't trust the authority, and I am my own authority, or this person I like over here is the authority that I'm going to look to, and so we get all this environment where we got these random, just we haven't been to the moon, we have been to the moon. We, I mean, literally any topic that you can pick out, there is a conspiracy theory about how this person is an evil. X, Y, or Z, and he's doing this, and she's wanting to control your life and do all. There's a lot of that going on, and part of it is because we have, we're not looking to what is true, we're not considering the sources of what, we what is true, and we're all suspicious, and we've been sometimes we've been lied to. And we're we're just in this kind of this perfect storm right now culturally where your truth's your truth, my truth my truth, I don't trust anybody, I'm gonna just kinda of see what feels like feels right or what you gotta prove it to me with the science, show me the show me the evidence there's a whole mess where truth is is being lost. A common understanding of what is true. Is there objective truth? Is is a serious question for discussion in our culture right now. Is there such thing as something that is absolutely true all the time? A lot of people will say no. A lot of people in our culture will say no, there's not. It's only my truth and your truth, and my experience and your experience. The science or, or whatever, and the science changes, so there's not really any absolute objective truth. That's kind of a major problem. It's very divisive. <clears throat> But then you think back to the Garden of Eden. That's exactly what Satan did too. Was cause them to question: Did God really say? Mm-hmm. That's the core of it all, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can God be trusted? Is God telling the truth? 
Alex, did you want to say something? Oh, I just can comment like how, I mean, through history you have myths and I guess conspiracies, but then you take those conspiracies and you cite those conspiracies, so it's kind of like this, kind of like a cycle, but now it's, it's really sped up, you know. If there was a conspiracy last year, now you can cite those conspiracies in shorter time, mm-hmm. you know. It does speed up things, and, and then you kind of get this whole web of conspiracy you draw off of for citing your resources. Yeah. <laughs> Are conspiracy theories a problem? Like for Christians? Is it a big deal? Like, what if I believe that there are certain really, really rich people who planned COVID from the start and that they did all these things and they, they were doing that and then they were also behind the, the vaccines and they, they were also doing the mask things. And, like, you can, you can kind of sound really convincing and say a lot of things like that and then people are being like, that Bill Gates, you know, or whoever, whoever the person is. And, and we can be really afraid of people that are going to take over the world and they're going to take away all of our freedoms and they're going to do all the... Now, are some of those little things true? Are some of those little things really sketchy? Sure. But when, when we start to really examine and think about, there, there are very... Um, a lot more simple and, and believable explanations for a lot of those things. And then, well, I'll go there. Never mind. So, the, <laughs> think about the, the can it, what is required for a conspiracy to really happen and work? You have to have really highly competent people carrying out the plan and just apply that test. And usually, <laughs> that's not possible with this group of. Individuals. That, so anyway, but that's beside the point. But it's like a chain letter. It's got to be sent on to the next mm-hmm. person, right? Mm-hmm. Conspiracies die when people stop repeating, mm-hmm. right? So eventually. And yeah. there's some truth in it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that's what makes them effective. Is there's something in there that seems really that seems true? Or the people want to believe. Rock, your initial question though, like, what, why, are, why is it important for believers to substantiate claims? before they repeat claims. Uh, really, it's a matter of following the Ten Commandments. It's a matter of libel. It's a matter of spreading falsehood. It's a matter of, um, and so I think that's that's one of the reasons why, like, when, you know, you have Paul come, coming to the Bereans um, in Acts, and the, the Bereans don't just say, oh, you know, hey, you're a servant of God. Okay, super, come on in and teach us. No, they're checking, they're checking what he says to, uh, with the scriptures. And so I think, like, in our culture, there's, there's this, bent toward a skepticism of, of authority, as is uh, thoroughly mentioned um, here. Like we, our culture has a very jaded view of authority, mm-hmm. and so we look at authority with skepticism, but I think that there's there's an essence of skepticism that is a good thing when we're analyzing what's being said, or what's being taught, or what's being doing, uh, whatever, uh, against what the scriptures have to say. And there is a point, though, and I don't know what, what that point is, I'm still working it out in my own heart, but um, where we, where we kind of go off the ledge and go from being skeptical to being a skeptic. So instead of being a skeptical of particular things, we are constantly, you know, being being a skeptic. And so, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, truth is truth is important in substantiating those claims because if we're going to repeat them, then we're going to be a participant in 
whatever falsehood or whatever truth is being disseminated by what we say or what we what we post on social media or whatever we do. Yeah. And differentiating fact and opinion and being charitable. We're not very charitable. When people come against our opinion, our opinions quickly become facts. Right? We're not to be violated. And and what happens if I as a Christian am sharing the gospel with someone, saying this is the truth about life, about judgment that's coming, about the way that God created the world and what he expects from us. And I'm also saying, on the other hand, a bunch of conspiracy theory type things that are later found out to be not true. How, how do I, how is somebody going to look at me and distinguish between the two? I'm saying this true thing over here, and I'm saying this other true thing over here. Oh, this, oh, that's not true. Okay, hold on. Let me go back up. That we as Christians, we must be careful to speak truth because our message, the, the gospel, is a true message. Okay? And so, I think a lot of that's done with fear, too. Mm-hmm. Um, fear because we don't know, and maybe we have a distrust of how much control God has over everything. Uh, and that just causes other people to fear. Mm-hmm. I think that was a big distinguishing thing between Christians and non-Christians during this whole thing. Some people were afraid to die mm-hmm. big time. And it, it changed everything they did. And then you could see with, like within the church that there was a different, generally, a different feeling about that. Mm-hmm. But people who are non-believers seeing us fearing everything because we don't trust what God has planned is that's also a pretty poor witness. Mm-hmm. So, someone who believes that God is sovereign, that he's good and wise, that he's faithful, he's just, will respond to something like COVID differently than someone who does not. And we can apply that to our, our very first week when we talk about technology. Someone who does believe that God is sovereign and has written out the days of the history of the world from the foundation of the world, who knows what's going to happen and has ordained all things to happen as they are happening, is going to respond to technology and the like the kind of the scary technologies differently than someone who doesn't. If I'm afraid of technology, I might shun it and try to live, you know, off the grid and and, and with away from the phones and the the internet and it's the devil and like there's there. Are, we can live like that when we forget that God is sovereign. So there's a lot, there's just a lot of questions that we have to ask ourselves about uh, not only truth and what we believe, but how does that, how should that affect my use of technology? If God is the one who determines truth, how does that affect me as I go out into my classes as a college student or as a high school student or a grade school student? Or how do I go out into my workplace when they're saying all of these things? I know the truth. How do, how do I engage them? 
So we have a few minutes. Let's look at the first point. I've got the on page two. We're gonna do some filling in the blanks. <clears throat> Let's read these two uh, verses in John, and then you tell me what should go in that blank. John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, "I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except <clears throat> through me." And John fifteen twenty six. But when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. What should go in that blank? Jesus. Holy Spirit. Hmm. Yeah, you can say God is truth, right? God, the person about the Trinity is truth. God is truth. Look at Psalm 119. This will be the last one we do. Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And Titus 1, 1 through 3. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching of which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. What goes in that blank there? Letter B. God's word. God's word is true. So already we have the, the beginnings of the answer to a lot of these questions when we're talking about what is truth. What is truth? God himself is truth. That is a perfection, an attribute of God. He is true everything he does is true everything he says is true if there is anything true in the world where does it come from it comes from God he is the source of all truth and his word is truth he never utters a lie doesn't speak falsehoods his word doesn't expire or become irrelevant. It doesn't get updated as the science changes. God is truth, and his word is truth. So next week, we'll continue with kind of our biblical understanding. We've got to get a foundation of what truth is, and then we'll kind of compare that with what the, what the culture says in our technology, technological environment. Thanks, everybody.